sing, right? You are God alone, amen? Such an awesome, awesome reminder this morning that there is no God like our God. He is great. He is greatly to be praised. If you would, stand with me and open your Bible to the book of Romans chapter 15. Romans 15, verse 7, when you got it, say so. And it says there, therefore receive one another just as Christ also received you to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. For this reason, I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him, the Gentiles shall hope now. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your great love. Thank you so much for your great grace and for your mercy, God. I thank you for who you are. And I pray, O King, that you would glorify your name in the preaching and in the hearing of your word. Lord, may you speak to our hearts. Lord, may we hear from you, and may you be glorified in us, Lord. We praise you, and we thank you for this, and we pray all of this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so we're continuing. If you don't have an outline, just raise your hand, and the ushers will get you an outline. We want to be sure that you are um, able to follow along in the introduction of the sermon, and we also want to be sure that you're able to take some notes. And as always, I encourage you as a disciple of Jesus to utilize this as a tool uh, to help someone else grow in their faith, to sit down with them um, and help them understand what it is that you've been learning, and that will help you grow, and that will help them grow as well. And so we're continuing here in our Foundations of Faith series, and we are coming toward the end and toward the close of the, the book of Romans but we're not done yet. We have a couple of weeks left. But the Apostle Paul, as we were dealing with last week, he was talking about the receiving of one another. And so I don't know about you, but um, in the last few months, right, there's, there, there has been a, a lot of noise about the border issues in our nation. Have you heard that? Anyone heard that, right? Yeah? There's been a lot of question. There's been a lot of what's right, what's wrong. And so, you know, I, I already told you guys I'm going to speak in the, in, in the future in a few, in a, in a few months here. Um, I'm going to talk about politically correct, and I want to talk specifically about what I think about as far as immigration. But here's what I just want to say about the border situation. First and foremost, I don't think that... Uh, I could I could justify biblically like just plain open borders, right? I don't think that that's a biblical thing, and I don't think anybody in here really believes that either. Because if you do believe that, then that means that you sleep with your doors opened every night, and that you would just allow anybody to walk into your house at any time you want. If that's what you really believe, that's how you would live. But you don't. You lock your doors. Some of you put alarms on and all that kind of stuff. And so the point is this. Here's what I do think, though. What I do believe biblically is that we should welcome everyone. 
So that's a tough place to balance, is it not, right? That's a tough place to be. And so we should be welcoming to everyone. And as the church, let me, let, let me bring it down to our level, right? Because we're talking nationally, we're thinking about the border, but what about us as the church? And so that's what I want to talk about today. Everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome because as the church, that's what we should be. We should be a people that are welcoming all people, right? If we can't welcome people here, how can we talk to anybody else about that, right? If we can't invite people in, how can we speak to anyone else about that? And so if you look at your outline there, it has been said the church is supposed to be a hospital. The church is supposed to be a hospital. And what I would say about that is that this is true in one sense, in the sense that we should be a place of healing. We should be a people who are bringing healing to the land. The, but the imagery falls short as it is of a building, not of a body. When you think about that comment, you think about the church, you think about the church as a building, right? As when people come, it should be a place of a hospital uh, of that kind of mindset, but we're a body. And so as the body, we are to be a dwelling place for the healer, the great physician, and our gatherings should exude the healing power of God so that in our scattering, we carry the healing presence of God. Let me say that again. As the body, we are to be the dwelling place of the healer, the great physician, and our gatherings should exude the healing power of God. When we worship the name of Jesus, when we gather together, there should be a presence of God that is manifesting. You want to know the key to that? Let me tell you the key to that. The key to that is not amazing singers and musicians and a great, um, you know, band that's up there that is, that, that is making you feel some kind of way. The key to us exuding the power of God when we gather is what we're doing in private. It is what we are doing when we are by ourselves because when we are, are entering into the presence of God, when we are by ourselves and we are engaging with the Lord in a relationship, you know what happens when we gather together? When we gather together, there is an overflow of what has been happening because now it's like all of these people who have been being filled with the Holy Spirit, they come together in one place and all of a sudden, it's like the presence of God overflows. That is the way that we exude the presence of God or the power of God in our gatherings together. And then as we scatter, we carry the healing presence of God with us. And so when we come, we lift up, we worship the name of Jesus. And then as a result, when we leave this place, what do we do? We experience God, we walk with God, and God walks and manifests himself in and through our lives. And so this morning, I want you to think about this. The Father welcomes us. We must welcome others, especially especially those who are different than us. The Father welcomes us. We have been welcomed by the Father. We know this because of what Jesus has done for us. We must welcome others. Are you here? We must welcome We must be welcoming to others. We must be inviting to others. One of the things that I love about Core Faith Church, I love when we get emails back. I send out emails every time that a person is a first-time guest. We send out an email to them. We let them know that we're glad, glad that they were here. And we ask them for feedback, right? And I can tell you that I would say at least 90% of the time, one of the things that everybody says about our gatherings is how friendly people were. It's how they felt loved, how they felt welcome when they walked in the doors. And that is an awesome thing. That is a testament to God. It's, it's, it's something that God does in our hearts, and I'm grateful. And so, hey, continue to do that. Continue to be that way, that you would welcome others, but not just others, especially those who are different than us. You see, because here's the thing. It's really easy to welcome people that are just like you. 
It's really easy to welcome people who think exactly like you think. It is really easy to welcome people who have the same ideologies in every single area. It's really easy to welcome people who were, who were raised the same way you were. But when you start getting around people and there's this diversity in the room or there's this diversity in the atmosphere, all of a sudden we start to feel funny. We start to feel some kind of way. And then all of a sudden we're not as welcoming anymore. We're not as engaging anymore. We're not as open anymore. And listen, let me just say this up front. I'm not saying that you have to agree with everybody's ideology. Are you here? I'm not saying that everybody's ideology is right. I'm not saying that everybody's preconceptions of life, of things are right. No, no, that's, that, that's not what I'm saying. Welcoming someone in doesn't mean you accept everything that they believe. Are you here? We're, we're here to grow. We're here to grow in the grace and the knowledge of who Jesus is. We're here to grow in the truth of Scripture. And so it's important for us to realize that God gives us this mandate. The Father welcomes us. We have to be welcoming to others, especially those who are different than us, if we are going to make the impact that God wants us to. So repeat this after me, if you would. Say, if we can't receive each other, we won't welcome others. If we cannot receive each other, we will not welcome others. That's just the bottom line. And just to go give a little recap, right, for those of you that may have not been here, maybe forgot, but what we talked about last week was the differences, right? The one with the weak conscience, the one with the strong conscience, the different feelings. Some said every day is holy. Some said certain days are holy. Some people could eat whatever they wanted. Some people couldn't eat anything but vegetables. Remember, we prayed for the vegetarians. Hallelujah. Right? And so ultimately, right, we, we, we thought about this, we talked about this, this is what Paul is talking about. And so when he comes here to this verse, he comes to verse 7, he says what? I told you we'd pick it up here. He says, therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. And so here's my question for you this morning. How did Christ receive you? How did Christ receive you? Because Paul gives us a, 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 an imperative here. He says, receive one another just as Christ received you. See, I know how Christ received me, right? I wasn't some guy who was clean and holy and living for the glory of Jesus, right? I was a guy who was doing drugs. I was a guy who was fornicating. I was a guy who was disrespecting my mom. I was a guy who was doing all kind of ugly stuff, right? That was the kind of guy I was. And, and Christ received me despite all of that stuff. He received me. As a matter of fact, he didn't just receive me, but he died for me. See, see, some of you, you have a story like that, and you're like, amen, bishop, amen, God received me, right? So don't forget how God received me. Others of you in the room, you're like, well, I, rather, I really never did anything bad, right? You're, listen, you're probably worse than all of us, hello, because you, never, you don't even recognize the wrong you do. You don't recognize how unholy you are before God. You don't recognize that as good as you think you are, your righteousness is like filthy rags before the Lord. That's not to be condemning. It's just that some of us don't realize what God did to receive us. So how is it that he received you? Because that is going to be key to you receiving others. Our ability to truly receive those who are different than us is rooted in our appreciation of what? How Christ received us. See, when I really remember what Christ did for me, right, then I can go ahead and I can see someone who is in a, in a process in their life, who is not where I'm at, who doesn't think exactly like I think, and I can say, wait a second, do we have some commonality? Well, hey, we all need Jesus, so let's start there. Right? 
We all need the Lord, right? No matter what. Listen, no matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, guess what? You still need him. The gospel teaches us we all need God. Equally, we are in need of the Lord. We may need him in different areas, right? God may need to grow us in certain areas of our lives. Nonetheless, how do we receive one another? We receive one another based upon how Christ received us. And so here, what does it mean to receive someone? Here's what the definition of the word is. It means to take to oneself. It means to grant one access to one's heart. It means to take into friendship or intercourse. Think about that, right? It means to, to grant one access to one's heart. Notice what it doesn't say here. It doesn't say, hey, worship next to each other on Sunday mornings. It doesn't say, hey, come to Bible study together. This is what it says. It says to receive them in a deeper manner, in a relationship, right? To engage them in a different way, to bring them into intercourse. Obviously, intercourse is not just sexual, but it is dealing with what? It is talking about relationship that is intimate. Listen, letting someone have access to your heart is a big deal. Hello. When you open your heart to someone, you know what you do? You make yourself vulnerable to that person. You, you're saying, hey, here it is. I'm putting it out there. You do with my heart what you want. You can either crush me or you can protect me. You can love me in return. You can reject me. That's what you do. But this is what Paul says. This is what it means to receive one another. Here's what he also says here. He says to receive one another. Now notice this. He says, he says um, therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us. Not you. Us. So for those of you that got a strong conscience, he received you. For those of you that have a weak, weak conscience, he received you. And Paul says, receive them like what? Rem remembering what, how Christ received you, but receive us. Not just receive them, but thinking about how Christ received me. Therefore, what is it? We must work out. This is so important. We must work out our differences so that way we can receive others, so we can welcome others. If we don't work out our differences, we're never going to welcome other people. If we don't get things right, it's kind of like, think about this. If, for those of you that are married, right, when you, when you are like in the middle of an intense conversation, we'll call it that. Right? You, you, you ever been in an intense conversation right when the doorbell rings? <laughs> right? It's like, that's where you really get to see self-control come in, right? Because at that moment, you got to go, right? You got you, you to gotta, you gotta think through that for a moment, right? And you got to be like, okay, well, it, it's going to be what it's going to be. They're here. We can't say, hey, come back in five minutes, right? We, we need you to come back in 30 minutes, right? And, and, and so sometimes you, you don't have time to work out those differences, right? It's much better when you have time to have a conversation before folks come over because you're not thinking about it. There's no tension. You ever, let me ask you a question. You ever walked in someone's house and you know there's something ain't right? You felt that tension, right? Like you walked into that cloud of tension, glory to God. You walked into it. You felt that thing there, right? And, and listen, church, understand this. The enemy wants to keep us at odds with one another so that when people come in the house, they feel that tension. Are you, are, are you hearing that? See, here's, here's why this is so important. As I, was, as, as I was studying, this is what came to my mind. An environment of indifference will create a church that makes no difference. An environment of indifference will create a church that makes no difference. And you know what an environment of indifference is? It's when you don't engage others. 
when you don't care enough to be in relationship with others, where you're just going to live your life apart from the life of the body. That is indifference. And then how is it that we as a church, because remember this, it's not just you, it's not just me individually that's supposed to make a difference. We as the church are supposed to make a difference. And so if we're a people of indifference, we really don't care about each other. We just say, you know what, you got a weak conscience, I'm done with you. You strong conscience, I'm done with you. We just judge one another. We don't talk to one another. We don't have tough conversations. Listen, I want you to know something. In order for you to have real relationship, you're going to have to have some tough conversations. In order for you to have real relationship, you're going to have to talk about some stuff that you just might disagree on. And you know what I always say? This is what I always say. Let's look at the book together. Let's look at, because if we have differences on things in the book, then we may have to part ways. If we can't agree on what's in the book, then we then you know what, you might need to go that way, I might, I, I, it's, it's okay. If we can't agree on the book, when, if we can agree on the book, then we can build from there, right? If we, if we can agree on what God has said in his word, we can build upon that. But if we can't agree on that, man, we can't go further than there. Not as a church, right? We can't go any further. Listen, it's the same thing for those folks that are thinking about getting married. You may, you, know, you may be single or whatever the case is, and here's the deal. The bottom line is you need to think about, wait a second, man, do we agree on the book? Because if we don't agree on the truth, then guess what? When you get into that marriage, you know what happens? You're both pulling in two different directions, right? Those same things apply to us as we think about being the church, as we think about being the body of Christ. How are we engaging one another? So church, let's not be indifferent. Let's make a difference. Amen. Number two, say this with me. Jesus is our example of extreme welcoming. Jesus is our example of extreme welcoming. Y'all heard about extreme couponing, right? <laughs> right? It's extreme, right? People, people are walking out the grocery store getting money back. Glory to God. Right? I mean, so there, there is that. But here's what I want to talk about. Jesus is our example of extreme welcoming. And so what does Paul go on to say in verse 8? So from verse 8 to verse 12, we're going to read through it, but look what it says here. It says, now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the Father and to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. And so what does Paul do again? Paul is reminding the church, remember he said, receive one another just as Christ has received you. And so Paul is reminding the church, and by, by that he's reminding us today, this is what Christ has done. Remember what we talked about throughout chapter 1 all the way to chapter 11, right? We talked about the indicatives of what Christ has done, especially Romans 9 through 11, where Paul really dug in deep to all of the Old Testament prophecies that were given to the fathers that confirmed that God was going to do something. He was going to harden the Jewish people temporarily so that way he could bring about the sacrifice of Jesus, so that way he could bring about his promise of salvation to the Gentiles and by proxy the whole world, right? So Paul does that. So what is he doing? He's encapsulating what he just spent tons of time doing because he's reminding he's going to transition into this latter portion of his letter, but he wants to say it one more time. He wants to make it clear one more time. It has always been God's plan to bring all men under the banner of Christ. 
It has always been God's plan to bring all men under the banner of Christ. And so what does it say? It says this. Now look, look at these words. It says, now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant or a minister, some of your Bibles may say, to the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made to the fathers. So what is he saying here? Jesus came as a Jew to the Jews. And what did he do? He came here to confirm the truth, the promises that were made to the fathers. And so what happens? Jesus comes as a Jewish boy. He comes into this earth, lives a life as a Jewish man. He lives a perfect, holy, blameless life. He dies as a savior. His gospel, his message was predominantly to the Jewish people. And he does what? He chooses 12 apostles who are going to be the founding fathers of the church. And then out of that, he fills them with the Holy Spirit, the 120 that are in the upper room. And then God does what? He sends this message out to who? Originally, he sends the message out only to the Jewish people who were present. These Jewish people get saved. And then what happens? We know that later on, as you fast forward, this message came to Jewish people, through Jewish people, for all people. Are you here? It's what happens. So that way we can glorify God. And so we know that Peter goes where? Peter goes to the house of Cornelius, and that's the first time that we see the message um, directly going through an apostle to the Gentiles, right? Before that, it went to Samaria through others. But then Cornelius gets his revelation, and, and, and God sends Peter to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And now all of a sudden, the message of the gospel is going. And then God does something even more radical. He saves the greatest persecutor of the church, a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul. Guess what Paul was by nationality? He was Jewish. God saves a Jewish guy and he sends him to be the apostle to the Gentiles for what? So that we could be reading the book of Romans, so we could have the book of Ephesians, so we could have 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, so we could have Galatians and Colossians, so we could know what God wants for us as Gentile believers. The New Testament predominantly does what? It communicates to us as believers, right? As Gentile believers, it's communicating that truth. And so what we have here is we have the clarity of what God has been doing. And so what does he do? He does the same, the, the, the same thing that he has done in the past. He simply looks at the Old Testament just to, to confirm one more time this has always been God's plans. Look what he says. He says this. He says, for this reason, verse 9, for this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And so that's David who's communicating what he is going to do. He's going to confess to the Lord among the Gentiles. He's going to let the Lord be, be honored and glorified among the Gentiles. He's going to sing songs unto the Lord. He's going to live that life of worship before the Gentiles. And then in verse 10 it says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, verse 11, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse. This root is speaking of Jesus, and he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him, the Gentiles shall have hope. Jesus came again as a Jew to the Jews who were saved and who were sent to the world. And here's what I want to say. If we want to make an impact in the lives of others and welcome them into the faith, we must be, listen to me now, we must be or we must become bold witnesses like David is here. David was not ashamed to praise his God wherever he was. So what does that mean? You got to walk around singing songs to Jesus? No, I'm not saying that. You can. That'd be beautiful. People ask you, I hope you can sing, glory to God, if you're going to do that. Because some people may be offended by your singing, right? So if you cannot sing, don't do that, right? But here's what I want you to know. 
You can always sing from your life. Amen? Your life can sing a song of praise to the Lord. Your life can be lived in a manner that impacts our world. Your life can be can, can minister unto those, right, that are around you. You don't ever have to sing a song. It's the way you live your life. I'm a firm believer. We have to preach the gospel. We have to communicate the truth of God's word. We can't just expect people to see goodness in us and assume, oh, they must be Christians. That's not going to happen. In most cases, that's not going to be that's not going to be true. But what people can do is this, because Jesus said this in the book of Matthew, I think it's chapter 5, he tells his disciples that they should do what? That they should let their good works be seen before men so that way what? So that way they can praise your God and Father. So we can let our good works be seen. But we have to be bold witnesses out there because if we're not bold, guess what? We're never going to make the invitation. Which brings me to my next point here. We cannot wait for invitations to make an invitation. Are you here? Don't wait for some to invite you to invite them. No, no, no. You have to seek God for opportunities to do what? To make the invitation. To invite people. We have these invitation cards that are out there. They are there to help you, right? To help you what? To make invitations easier. To make invitations not as difficult, right? It's simple. Just simply communicate to someone, hey, I want to let you know about my church. I'd love to see you come. And here's a website on the back. If you have questions about the faith, hey, True Life is a great resource for you. Go on there yourself and check it out. But here's the thing. We want you to make invitations, right? Always thinking about who it is that you are impacting with the gospel. Who is it that you're impacting for the glory of God? And so the third thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we can only welcome others to where we are or where we'll be. We can only welcome others to where we are or where we will be. What do I mean by that? Well, here's the thing. Have you, I mean, I don't know about this. This has happened a couple of times. You know, some people have gotten sick when they invite somebody to church and the person shows up and then they don't show up, right? That's always really awkward, right, by the way. <laughs> so do your best not to get sick when you invite someone to church or don't sleep in, hello. Or, or hey, hey, we have two services. Make sure they're coming to the same service you're coming to, right? That'll make it a little bit more comfortable for them. But here's the thing. You and I typically do not invite people to places we're not going. Do we? No. You don't invite people to where you're not. But look what Paul says in verse 13, because this is not just about a location, right? It's not about just, I want you to invite people to core faith. I want you to invite people to join us, to worship with us, to hear God's word preached. But here's what he says. He says, he, he, he goes from giving them this doctrine, giving them this indicative, to then turning to this prayer for them. And here's his prayer. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now look at that. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So where is it that you and I are welcoming people? We are welcoming people not to a place but to a position. We're welcoming people to a position of hope. That's what we're doing. As believers, we're welcoming them into this place of hope. Here's the thing. If you're not, not hope-filled, guess where you can't invite people? You can't invite them to a place of hope. Huh. See, here's the thing. We've been called to a relationship with who? Now may the God of hope. 
We've been called to a relationship with the God of hope. The question is, are you hopeful? Are you hopeful? Are you filled with hope? See, because here's what I see. Too many believers today are filled with dread. They're filled with doubt. They're filled with bitterness. They're filled with discouragement. They're filled with sinful appetites, but not filled with hope. They don't have a, there's no hope for tomorrow. And I'm not talking about that tomorrow's going to be, be better. That's what I'm, no, the sun will come out. You know that song, right? <laughs> the sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that, I'm just kidding, but anyway. <laughs> I'm not talking about that, right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about hope for the tomorrow. Hope that is beyond. The hope that we celebrate every day, every Sunday when we gather together and we participate in communion, that is the hope. Because you know what? The sun may not come out. You know what? I love the analogy that Minister Lewis used this morning. I wish he was here so he would hear this, but he can listen to it later on. But when, when, he, was, when he was talking about his ride to church, when I was sitting there, I was thinking to myself, I said, that's funny. I said, because he said he was looking in this direction and he saw rain and he saw this, but then he looked in that direction direction and he saw a rainbow you know what the issue is it's all about what direction are we looking in because guess what the whole time the rainbow was there the whole time the whole time the rain and all that was happening the rainbow was there it all depended on which direction he was looking in which direction we're looking in but the question is do we have hope are we hope-filled? It's funny because all, all jokes aside, normally I prepare the sermon. I finish the sermon up on Thursday is typically what happens. This week because of a project in school, I ended up getting held up. And so I had to finish the sermon on Friday. So on Friday, I'm sitting in the office. And usually I, I'm not home around this time on Fridays. But I was sitting in the office on Friday. And as I'm sitting there, my doorbell rings. Wow, listen, I want you to understand. I was literally on this exact point. No joke. I was on point three. And I was getting ready to write the notes. Guess who's at my door? They normally come on Saturdays. But can I tell you something? You know what they were offering? Hope. It's a false hope nonetheless, but they're reading scriptures that, you know, they're in our Bible. It's just their belief of Jesus is wrong, and so it's a false hope that they're offering. Nonetheless, you know what she was talking about? She's like, listen, you know, you look at the world, you look at everything that's going on, and she went through this whole thing, and then she was like, and you know, but there's hope in Christ. I'm like, yes, amen, I know, I'm a pastor. And I figured I'd make them leave, but she wanted to continue to tell me about this stuff. I'm like, okay, I don't have time to evangelize you right now, but if you come back, we're going to have a conversation. The point of the matter is, they, you know, I, I'm sitting here, and I sit, when I come back in, my, in, in the room to sit down, I'm like, man, they are doing what? They're knocking on your door trying to tell you we live in a world that is fallen. We live in a world that is hurting. We live in a world that is hopeless. But there is hope in Christ. Church, we have to understand that. Don't, you know what the problem with us is? Is that we feed our fears, we feed our dread, we feed our doubts, we don't feed our faith. We don't feed our hope. What did Paul say? He said, now may, the, this is prayer, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy. See, guess what? When you have hope, there is joy. So, so how do you know if you have hope? Do you have joy? Do you have joy? He said, and peace, but notice what he says, in, say in, in believing. You know where hope comes from? It comes from a growing faith. It comes from a growing belief system. That's where hope comes from. You want to know why some of us are hopeless? Because we're steady listening to the wrong news outlets. Hello. Wrong. They're all wrong. Hello, somebody. <laughs> 
There's no right one, y'all. All of them are selling discouragement just, just, just from a different platform. That's all it is. All right, so we, we're steady hearing all of this stuff all the time, and we're afraid of this, or we're afraid of that, or we're discouraged about this. We're listening to, to listen, the devil is always going to speak down on the church, y'all. And when he finds an outlet or he finds a voice that has a, you know, big microphone, guess what they're going to do? They're going to speak in ways that are going to make you be discouraged. They're going to speak in ways to discourage and dissuade your faith rather than you communicating and believing. Listen, I want you to think, of: do you believe that your Savior is coming one day? Do you believe that there is real hope in Christ? Or do you think, man, I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen here. I mean, listen, you listen to some folks. I, you know, I, I listen to, I, I try to stay informed, right? I listen to all the debates. I listen to all the conversations that are going on. I listen to what people say, listen, you listen to some of them. Boy, you ready to just go and like just dig a hole somewhere and just, Lord, take me now. Because there's no hope. There is no hope. I want you to know the gospel gives you hope. The gospel gives you hope. But you will never know that if you're not feeding your faith. If you are not feeding your faith, you will never see the hope. See, correctly placed hope is powerful, church. Hear me when I say that. Correctly placed hope is powerful. False hope is demoralizing. Listen, man is a false hope. Man-made methods are false hope. A man-centered desire, those are false hopes. The strength of our hope is the Lord. The joy and peace that accompany hope are directly connected, I said it before, to a growing faith. The question is, are you feeding your faith? Are you feeding your faith by being in the presence of God, by being in God's word? Here's the thing I want to ask you. Has your hope moved you to help others find their hope? I said these Jehovah's Witnesses knocked on my door. And I can assure you, they're walking around. My, even though our neighborhood says no soliciting, come on now. Right in the front, it says no soliciting, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's there. I mean, they're, they're, they're literally breaking the law to come and knock on my door, right? I'm not going to go and, and pull that card on them, whatever. Hey, you know, even though they're spreading a false gospel and all that kind of stuff, you know, here's the thing that I want you to get is that I'm not telling you you got to go out every Saturday morning to go knock on someone's door. But you know what? You know people around you that need hope. You don't have to go and knock on some stranger's door to make to, to share the hope of Christ. How many people do you know around you that are hopeless? How many on social media? How many people do you know that are hopeless? They need an injection of hope, and you have that hope. Don't let people talk down on life and give them no answer and just be like, oh, humdrum next to them, like you have no hope. Listen. You have hope no matter what's going on around you, no matter what is happening. Remember, Paul writes these words to a church that was filled with discouragement, filled with fears, filled with doubts, and he is telling them, this is my prayer, that the God of hope would strengthen you with joy and with peace as you believe, that that hope would continue to strengthen you and fortify you and keep you moving forward until that blessed day when the glory of God is revealed and there's no more suffering, there's no more pain, there's no more sorrow, and you don't need hope anymore because guess what? You're in the presence of Almighty God forever. But that's the hope we have, church. And so if you're not filled with hope today, I encourage you, ask the Lord to fill you, not with false hope, but real hope, with gospel hope, with Holy Spirit-sustained hope, with eternal hope. And so here's my closing question, not just are you, are you hopeful, but are you welcoming? Are you welcoming? Are you welcoming others? Are you inviting others into this hope? Maybe you're like, man, I can't invite anyone to the, into this hope because I'm hopeless. Today, today, God wants to fill you with hope. You know where that hope comes from? That hope comes from the gospel. 
That hope comes from the fact that you and I were hopeless, dead in our sins, separated from God. We could do nothing to save ourselves. You and I, if you're a believer today, you sit here today because God rescued you. You sit here today because God sent his son to die in your place and do for you what you could never do for yourself. To do for you that no matter how hard you tried, you could never be righteous enough to be accepted by God. He died in your place so that way you would have the ability to put your faith, put your hope in someone who's greater than you. Someone who never fails. Someone who never falters. Someone who never, ever, ever abandons us nor forsakes us. Someone who has always been faithful with his promises and he's not going to start breaking them now. If you don't have hope today, you can have that hope in Christ. You can put your faith in him. And if you're a believer, listen, be reminded, you still have that same hope. Don't let the world lie to you. And then be a person who's welcoming. Welcome others to the faith. Welcome others to that hope. Welcome others into your life. Amen? So I stand on our feet. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for the reminders of the hope that we have in you. Thank you so much for the beauty of the gospel that changes us, that saves us, that delivers us. Thank you, Lord, because you love us. Today, God, I pray for my brothers, my sisters, those that are in this room, those that are hearing us online. Lord, if they are hopeless today, I pray that this message encourage their hope today. If they're hopeless, Lord God, I pray that they would know that there is hope in you despite what is going on in our world. And I pray for us, Lord, that we would be welcoming, that we would be a people who want to see others come to the faith, that we would be a people who want to see others come into a relationship with you, that we would be a people who are committed to making disciples, and that we recognize that if we are really committed to making disciples, that means, God, we're going to have to go into the places in people's lives that are ugly, that are not so sanctified, that have not arrived yet, and we're going to have to help them grow and walk with them through the sanctification process. God, liberate us from our religious mindsets that hinder us from loving the way that you call us to love and for welcoming others the way you call us to welcome them. We thank you that we're all welcomed in your presence. We give you praise and we pray this all in Jesus' name and everyone said, come on, give God a hand of praise. He's worthy.